How you guys doing? What's up? Very cool, very cool. Well, have you almost ever gone to your old house? Now, be truthful, all right? You get used to driving down certain roads that you automatically turned and found yourself at your old house. You maybe even drove up in the driveway and still didn't realize you were at your old house. Now, please tell me somebody else has done this because I've done this. Thank you. Or two of us. That's awesome. Three. Okay. Now we got some honest people in the house, right? There we go. I'm serious. We used to live off of 98 over in the Highland City area on the other side. And I don't even remember what we were doing, but one day I was just driving. You know how you're just kind of mindlessly driving down the roads? You're just so used to going down. And I drove up and I drove into the driveway of our old house. And I'm thinking, what is this other car doing here? I've never seen this car before. And then it hit me. I was like, oh, man. I'm at the wrong house. So thank you for those who admitted you've ever done this before. But see, that's how we are so often with our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We go to the wrong house. We go to our old house. You see, Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. He says, since you heard about Jesus and the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. In other words, Paul's like, don't go to your old house. Stop going to the wrong address, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes, the mind. Put on your new nature. In other words, go to your new address, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul's like, that's your old house. That's your old nature. It'd be a little weird if you showed up. Could you imagine strolling on in? There's a family in there. And you're like, hey, what's on the TV? And you're sitting down next to them. It'd be a little strange. See, you now have new roads and a new address. Or at least it should be a little weird if you showed up at your old house. Go to your new nature, your new house. One time I, I gave my dad a ride. We lived in Ocala, and he needed to go to the bank and I had my own place at the time. I don't remember why I did this, but I was driving his car to the bank. And so he gets out, and I'm waiting in the car. It takes him a little while, and he's in the bank. Finally, he starts to come out. But I've noticed, I'm like, where is he going? He was walking another direction. And it took me a second, and I realized he was going to the wrong car. You see, they used to own this Toyota Avalon. It was the same make and model and color as their old car. They had a new car that I was driving. And he walks over. It was so funny. Now, listen, I could have been a good son and be like, hey, Dad, over here. But when I realized what he's doing now, I'm like, I'm going to see how this plays out. So he goes over to the passenger side. He opens it. And usually, you know, you're, you're alert. You kind of see some legs in there. You would see that somebody was there. But he was just, it's so automatic, right? It was just automatic. He was opening the car. He gets ready to sit down. And the people inside the car start yelling. My dad yells, jumps back. I've never seen a man move so fast in my whole life. And he realizes, oh, that's my old car. And he walks over to me. I'm laughing hysterically. You know, it was awesome. I love it. What a son's for, right? That's what a son is for. You see, my dad was going to his old car. Why do we go back to the old car? Why do we go to the old house? The house that's in disrepair. The house that's been condemned. See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in who? In Christ. He is a new creation. That's the same thing in our Ephesians verse. He's a new creature. He has a new nature. The old has passed away. That means dead. 
Behold, the new nature has come. See, this is saying you have a new identity, a new address. The Bible says that sin is no longer your master or your address. So why do we keep trying to go over and over again, mindlessly driving down the same paths we've always gone and getting into the car, going inside the house? You see, many of you are living in your old house. You're getting in the wrong car. And today we're going to look at step five, which is called the transformation step. It's voluntarily submitting to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly asking him to remove my character defects. You see, those character defects are a part of your old house, your old nature. So this morning, I simply want to do three things. Talk about where do my character defects come in that old nature and why it's so hard to get rid of them. And then how do I cooperate with God's change in the process to heal my hurts, habits, and hangups that are messing up our lives. Listen, we wreck our lives going to the old house. We wreck our lives going to the old car. See, the old has passed away. It's a reference to what the Bible calls the old nature or the flesh. In King James Version, it's called the old man. I like that. This is my old man. It's the sin nature you inherited from Adam. Now, some of you are like, what, I inherited a sin nature? I remember my kids could barely speak. They were already doing disobedience, right? We are born with a sin nature we inherited from Adam and Eve, the rebellion in the Garden of Eden. So this word, the old has passed away, this old nature, it's a word picture. Now, this is a Hallmark, mo- hallmark moment. You're going to be like, that is so cute. Listen to this. The word picture for the old sin nature in the Greek is of a dead corpse, not buried, rotting in the sun, getting stinkier. Now, that's a hallmark moment, isn't it? You're like, thanks, Brian, that was really special. But that's a picture of it. That's a picture of the old house. That's a picture of the old car. You think that this old nature has no power. It's dead. But the Bible says that in the old address, that maybe the old address doesn't have attraction, but the Bible says it still has a working. Or in the Greek, it's energio. What English word do we get from that? Energio, energy, right? It energizes. See, even though it's dead and it's rotting, it still has an energio, a working in you, if we let it. But see, you also have a new nature. The Spirit of God lives in your new nature. And it says he has a working, an energio in you as well. Philippians says it's for, it is God who works. That word works is energio in you to will and act according to his good purpose you see these two natures these two houses these two cars are still with us galatians 5 17 says this the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants what your new nature wants with the holy spirit and the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires now listen to this this is where it gets heavy this is why we go back to the old house These two forces are constantly fighting. That's of a Greco-Roman wrestling match. That's what Paul, the example he's using. These two things are wrestling each other inside your mind, each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But, listen to this, but if you are led by the Spirit, if you are led by the Spirit, see, there's a wrestling going on inside of you right now, and you're like, yeah, I feel it. I can feel that. I understand that. I know what's happening. I want to go to my old house. I want to go to my new house. I don't know what to do. But if the Spirit leads you, see, here's the question. If it's this Greco-Roman wrestling match, who are you training? Who are you feeding? Who are you conditioning? Shows who's winning the battle. 
in that wrestling match. Who are you letting win, the old nature or the new nature? Christ freed you from it. It has no dominion over you unless you give it dominion. See, you've heard this word redeemed, right? Kind of nod at me if you've heard the word redeemed. God has redeemed your hurt, habits, and hangups through the cross, through Christ's sacrifice. That's where we get this new nature. It's based on what Jesus did. Redemption is a word that means to be brought back by somebody from slavery. That somebody is Satan. Jesus bought us back from Satan. Satan is a slave driver. That's what his goal in life for you is to be enslaved to him. So let me introduce you to the Greek words in the New Testament for redemption. The first is argazo, and it's the marketplace for Roman slaves. This is the place where we see the condition we are in. I'm enslaved. There's no hope. It's my old nature. This old nature has enslaved me. Satan has enslaved me. This is who I am. This is who I'll always be. See, that's what the old house does. It says, this is who you are. This is who you'll always be. The next is latrosis. This is the full payment for a Roman slave. Simply put, this is the experience of now belonging. When Christ finds you, when you're, see, listen, it's like this, okay? And I want to be tender here because slavery is wrong, wrong. But Christ bought us back from that. But this is what this word is like. It's like if there were slave blocks and they were putting you up there and they were trying to say, who's going to pay the highest price for this? But you were in the back and nobody wanted to buy you because you were just whatever. Nothing to attract you. Nothing would attract. And you go up to the block and no one wants you. But in the back, there's a voice that says, I want him. I want her. And it's Jesus. And he wants to pay the full price with his precious blood to buy you back from Satan. You see, Jesus doesn't buy you to own you. He buys you to free you. And it's the last word for redemption I get excited about. It's the one we usually don't get to as believers. It's alpatrosis. And this means not just buying your freedom, but buying your freedom to never be a slave again. You see, when a Roman slave won his freedom in that world, he was given a sword, a free man's sword. Think about what that meant. They could defend themselves. They had rights, power, and privilege. You see, we've been given a sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a free man's book. And it's, this is what happens because the slave driver, Satan, is going to come back to you. And you say, no, 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 you're in chains. You need to go to the old house. And you've got to say, no, no, I've got a free man's sword right here. And you cut down the lives of the enemy. You have a free man's sword. You're free men and women in Christ. But here's the other cool thing it says. This is the other part I love, and we don't get to this. It's to turn back to its original state by making it completely new and actually better than new. Better than when Adam and Eve, better, because now you're in Christ. He bought us back by the cross, not just to return us to our original state, but even to a better state. It's a new nature. But listen, until you go to heaven, there's a wrestling match back and forth. Who are you training and conditioning? There's a wrestling match of what I do. Am I going to go to my old house or my new house? Will I get caught up in the same hurts, habits, and hangups I always have? Or I'm going to go and start operating in the new nature? The question is, are you going to walk in your new nature or your old nature as a free man or as a slave? That's the question. 
So let's talk about this old house, these defects, this old nature. Where do my character defects come from? Well, you guys have heard nature and nurture. Now, I know my mother-in-law is here, so I know she's heard nature and nurture before. But this is a picture of the old house, the fallen house. Listen to this. Where do my character defects come from? Well, because you're complex as a human that God created you, they come from three sources, a biological source, a sociological source, and a theological source. You're like, whoa, Brian, those are big words. Listen, my chromosomes, my circumstances, and my choices. How's that? It's a little better, a little easier. That's where our defects come from. That's what the old house is made of. My chromosomes, we call it nature. That's your chromosomes. Both your mother and your father contributed to 23,000 chromosomes each into you. And so you inherited some of their weaknesses, some of their strengths, right, too? You inherited, I, I inherited baldness. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I wanted the flowing hair. All right. You inherited some physical defects from your parents, and you inherited some emotional defects from your parents, too. This explains your predisposition towards certain problems, but it doesn't excuse sin, right? For example, because of my parents, now, now this isn't my parents, you know, I'll, I'll say this, but I may have a tendency to have a hot temper, but that doesn't excuse me to go out and murder somebody or to yell at my kids in a way that's unjust. I may have a tendency to be lazy, but that doesn't excuse me from doing nothing with my life. I may have a tendency genetically to be given towards different addictions, but that doesn't excuse me to go out and make the choice to become addicted. That's the nature. My circumstances is the next one. It's the nurture, Right? It's another source. You were raised a certain way, and you learned a lot of your ways relating your patterns and your habits from your parents and from other people significant in your life. You learned to respond to your own needs in a certain ways and how to cover for yourself, how to handle hurt and rejection, whether it was positive or negative. And a lot of your defects, our defects, are simply self-defeating attempts to meet unmet needs. See, we, you have a legitimate need for respect. Let's use a few examples. But if you didn't get respect early in life, you settle for attention and figure out a way to get attention in various ways, and it could be negative. You have a legitimate need for love. But if you didn't get love, you may have settled for cheap sex to get the emotional closeness. You have a need for security, but if you didn't get it, you may have tried to cover yourself with materialism and possessions to show, hey, I'm secure. The next is my choices. This one's sort of obvious. If you choose to do something long enough, good or bad, it becomes a habit. Once it becomes a habit, you're stuck. Things you never intended to develop in your life develop because you chose to do a certain thing that became a habit. So why is it so hard? Why do we go back to the old house? Why is it so hard to change the defects in my life? Well, because I've had them so long. I mean, it's like an old pair of shoes. They may not be great for running, but they're comfortable, right? The old house is comfortable. And so we just go there. Sometimes we say, this is just the way I am, the way I've always been. And it's hard to let go of these things. It's very comfortable. But you notice, this is the way I am. You see, it's an identity issue, too. Because you don't know your identity, your new identity in Christ, the new creature that you are. How many of us know that, and, and we were talking about this in Celebrate Recovery, but that how God changes names throughout the whole Bible. I love it. 
Because even Joshua, if you remember the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, if you sang that when you were a kid, Joshua, he has a name change. His name is Oshua, which means saves. And then God changes to he saves, Joshua. But God did this throughout the whole Bible. And even in the New Testament, I love it because Jesus is giving new names. Remember Peter the Rock? Remember that? And I, I love it because even James and John, he calls them the sons of thunder because they want to go, like, call down fire on this place. He's like, whoa, 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 boys. You guys are like thunder in here, man. You guys are like the sons of thunder. You need to hold back. And so he calls them these nicknames. I love it. But see, what God's doing is he's taking them from this old house to a new house, an old identity to a new identity. Listen to this. You see, names meant something to Jews and to Hebrews. Names were important. It marked your destiny. It told you who you were. Let's, you've heard of Jacob, right? Not just the name, but the character in the Bible, Jacob. Let's put it in terms of Jacob's life. His name, Jacob, means, now I'm sorry if this is your name, because I love, I love that name, Jacob, but this is what it means, deceiver or worldly. If you know Jacob's story, you know he lived up to that name, right? He was a deceiver. It's a picture of the old nature. But God changed Jacob's name to be Israel, which means prince of God. Do you see how God is taking Jacob and saying, you might have deceived, but that's your old self. Let me tell you who you are. You are a prince. And you're the prince of Israel. You see, even after Jacob was named, God renamed him. He was still growing, right? Jacob still made mistakes, right? He still acted like Jacob even after he had been called Israel. See, he was learning to become what God called him, his identity. It's the same with Peter. Remember, Peter had that name change, right, from Simon. Simon is, is Peter's birth name. Peter was not his name. Jesus named him Peter. Simon was his name, and it means shifty and unstable and sifted. That's what his name means. How is that? Like, I'm an unstable, shifty, sifted person? That's great. That's his name to Peter the Rock. No, you're, you're not shifty and unstable. You're a rock. You're a foundational, Peter. You're going to be unmoved. But listen, he still acted like Simon at times, right? Sometimes, moment by moment, he had to grow into his new identity as Peter. Because remember when Jesus went to the cross? Jesus predicts they're all going to fall away. But remember what he said to Peter? See, because usually Jesus called him Peter, but he changes and he says, Simon, Simon. Satan is asked to sift you. That's a play on Peter's name. But I have prayed for you, Simon. When you've come back, go restore your brothers. And then he changes. He says, and Peter. See, it's really significant. Our Savior said this. He said, Simon. Then he says, Peter. And Peter, you're going to deny me three times. It's really important that you remember who you are because you're going to be crushed that you failed me. You're going to be crushed that you went back. You're going to be crushed that you relapsed, that you went back to who you were. But Peter... I've prayed for you. Satan's going to prey on you, but I've prayed for you. He's like, Peter, you're going back to thinking like Simon. You're going to relapse into fear. You're going to go to the old house. But Peter, I've prayed for you. In other words, Peter, remember who you are, your real identity, your new nature. You're going to deny me three times, but that's not who you really are. Don't let that define you. You see, the enemy, how many of you know this? The enemy will try to take something you did and convince you that what you did is who you are. It's his favorite tools or guilt and shame, right? Guilt and shame. How many of you know there's a difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is something you did, and shame is something that you believe you are. And they're identity thieves. And those are Satan's greatest tools in our lives. If he can get guilt and shame on you and say, this is who you are, 
we rarely will break out of our habits and hang-ups. You see, we often confuse our identity with our defects. We say, well, this is just why I am and who I am. This is how I'll always be. And you identify with your defeats. I want you to complete the sentence in your mind. Take a moment, close your eyes, if you can. Say, in your mind, just say, it's just me to be, you fill in the blank. How many of you, it was negative? Don't raise your hands. How many of you, it might have been negative? You can open your eyes now. Maybe you said, I'm a workaholic, overweight, anxious, not good enough, passive. I let people run over me, fearful, or I lose my temper. See, what you're doing is setting yourself up and identifying yourself with your old nature, your old house, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Listen, you are who Jesus says you are. That's the truth. And the third thing is simple. The old nature has a payoff. We don't do things without reward. Let's be real about our human nature. We do stuff because it has a payoff. Every defect has a payoff. The old house gives us a false sense of security. It may mask pain. It may give me an excuse to fail. It may allow me to compensate for guilt in my life. It may even get me attention. Sometimes the, house, the old house doesn't look that bad. It gets me attention, right? But anytime a negative behavior is repeated in you, there's always a payoff. We don't do things that don't get rewarded. But see, it's, it's a lie because you're only rewarded for a little while. The payoff ends and the false security drops. So how do I cooperate with God's change process in my life? What we read about in Ephesians said, renew this. You got to renew this. That mind of yours, man, we can catastrophize. We can worryfize. I can't remember what my, my father-in-law calls it. Man, this mind can do all, this is, the, this is the most greatest operating computer system in the whole world. God created it. Computers can't even match it right now. It is so complex and so crazy. We have to change our minds. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. So how do we start to do that? Because if you want to change your life, you've got to change the way you think. The Bible says, your thoughts determine your feelings and your feelings determine your actions. They're not separate, they're together. The way you're thinking is the problem. And the first thing we got to do is focus on changing one defect at a time and the victory over it one day at a time. See, if you're like me, you come to a recovery series like this, I get overwhelmed. Are you like that? I'm like, man, I've got like 30 things I've got to change. I'm like, I'm, you know, it's the list. And last week, Dave said, you know, take that moral inventory. Maybe if you did that, you're, you're probably overwhelmed. Some of you are like, I don't know that I can face doing a moral inventory. I'm just going to list five things. But I come to this, and sometimes I'm overwhelmed by how much I have to change. You don't have to change everything at once. Don't get overwhelmed. You'll get discouraged if you're like, i got to change it all at once. And you won't change anything. And you have to be specific. So what I'd suggest, and it's on your, your handout, is you start to pray, God, what specific defect would you like to work on first in my life? Not what I'd like to work on, but you. So you may think it's, it's overeating. It may not be. God, it's like, you know what? We're going to deal with anger right now, how that affects you. I don't know. Whatever it is for you. But list out. Just like Dave said last week, list out those things. God, this is what I want to work on right now. My anger, my anxiety, my tendency to control people, my workaholism, being dishonest, whatever it is. But say, which is the one thing of those, God, that you want me to do? Otherwise, it doesn't work. 
You see, victory is a process. Victory was won for you on the cross, but victory is a process. If you look at the whole battlefield, you're going to be overwhelmed because there's only one person that's really supposed to look at the whole battlefield, and that's our general, Jesus Christ. Because he doesn't get overwhelmed when he looks at your hurts, habits, and hangups. He doesn't get overwhelmed at your problems. What he wants is you to say, hey, I want you to go to take that one bunker. And then I want you to go to that ridge. You see, victory is a process. Let's take one thing at a time, one day at a time, one problem at a time. The next is to focus on doing good, not feeling good. How many of you are feeling people like me? Let's, let's be honest. I'm raising my hand right now. Because Dave and Brian know I, I do a lot of stuff based on feelings. I guess I'm the only one. I'm going to celebrate recovery, people. <laughs> I am, actually. Uh, listen, if you do the right thing, your feelings will eventually catch up with you. It's very important we catch this. If you wait until you feel like changing, you'll never change. And the devil will make sure you never feel like to change. It's e always easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. If I don't feel like loving my wife, if I start act loving towards her, the feelings will come. If you wait until you feel it, it's going to be a long time. Do the right thing even though you don't feel like doing it. And your feelings will eventually catch up. Anytime you try to change a major part, and this is really important to hear, anytime you try to change an important part of your life, there's going to be some emptiness in it. If you're a workaholic and you start to go home at 5 p.m. and you don't take work home with you, you're going to be like, man, this feels weird. This feels odd. I don't like this. Or if you're used to overeating or smoking or whatever it is, you're like, man, nothing's in my mouth right now. I'm not eating. I don't feel good. Something's wrong. You're always going to feel that. You can't base it on feelings. Sometimes we give up when we start to feel those things. It feels weird. So do the right thing, whether you feel like it or not, and the feelings will catch up with you. Now, here's the third thing. Focus on what I, what I want, not on what I don't want. See, whether you focus on what you focus on dominates your life. Think about that. What you focus on dominates your life. If you focus on the bad, it will keep dominating your life. If you focus on what you've been It'll keep dominating your life. If you focus on what happened in your past that maybe was negative, that's what you become. See, whatever you ha has your attention has you. Whatever has your attention has you. If you say, oh, listen, if you're like, man, I'm not going to think about sex. I'm not going to think about sex. I'm not going to think about sex. What are you thinking about? Sex. And you probably won't resist temptation. You see, the Bible, when it talks about renewing your mind, it's talking about refocusing. Walking in a new nature, going to your new house is refocusing. You just turn the mental channel of your mind. If you're watching a bad show on TV, you don't say, I'm not going to watch this, I'm not going to watch this, I'm not going to watch this. You turn the channel, right? You just turn the channel. You refocus off what you've been to and what you want, what God wants to do in your life, what he wants to do. This is called the power of affirming the word of God. And I've spoken a lot about this. I, I get hung up on this, man. This is huge for me. Listen, there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Probably the most helpful discipline you could develop is learning and memorizing scripture. Memorize one scripture a week. See, when you start thinking thoughts, it sends electrical pulses in your brain. And it, it drives these like, like, like a highway in your brain. It's like a rut. 
in your brain, positive or negative. These things are happening in your brain when you're thinking things over and over again, and it creates these ruts in your brain. And you need something that's stronger than the negative thoughts you have, and that's the Word of God. The only way you get rid of negative ruts is to think God's Word over and over again. You see, I've told you about my struggle with depression, right? But what I haven't told you is I struggled, E-D, struggled with depression, past tense. You see, I'm hung up on memorizing Scripture because when I had my breakthrough with depression is when I renewed this with Scripture. If you know me, you've seen me with, like, note cards. They fall out of my Bible or I have them in my pockets. It's because I write verses that speak to those things. I put them in my pocket and I carry them with me, and it begins to reprogram my mind thinking positive thoughts and creating new ruts in my mind and the massive depression just lifted i want to tell you from personal experience i don't get depressed anymore i get the blues sometimes i get discouraged sometimes but that massive depression i used to feel god is god i haven't conquered it god has conquered it you see i figured out where my depression came from that was the first thing remember it's admitting that you need help, and then figuring out, taking a moral inventory, figuring out those things in your life, those hurts in your past. You see, for me, is when I was a kid. My depression issue was directly connected to my learning problems as a kid. In first grade, I got so depressed, my mom moved me to a private school. It was really small, and all the grade levels were in there together. I went to a school where all of them were together, and one day I had to stand up and the teacher asked me to walk over three grade levels down in front of everybody because we're all in the same classroom. And I was frozen with fear and worthlessness as a kid. I was embarrassed. I was sitting with kids three grades lower than me at their table because I wasn't good enough to learn what I needed to. You see, I struggled with mild dyslexia, mostly with numbers. And it impacted me at school and how I learned. And I remember it was the walk of shame and I was paralyzed with fear. I know you're like, well, that was when you were a kid. That still influenced me in these days. Because I was like, God, I can't do anything for you. I'm not smart enough. Lord, I can't serve you. And of course, I had words spoken over me like stupid. And of course, the, the devil is right there to reaffirm anything negative. And I carried this with me. And I told God, I can't do anything for you. Why would you want someone like me? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. But then the Lord was like, showed me the truth in his word. I picked up the sword, and I began to believe that when he said I had a new mind, that I had a new mind, that I might struggle with knowledge, but he can give me wisdom because he said, his word says it will. But it was renewing this mind, replacing thoughts. That's the only way. See, in your mind, you have a scale. You know, like a scale tips over with weight. On one side are all the negative thoughts the devil tells you, a spouse tells you, or your ex tells you, that former girlfriends or boyfriends have told you. Maybe your parents told you. Maybe some school teacher said, you will never amount to anything. And over here are the good things that God wants to say about you. The identity, what he wants to say, and wants to say that you're his beloved. But the problem is you've spent so much time over here, and there's so much weight on it, and not enough time in God's word. And that's not a condemnation thing. It's just, man... In the word, we see Jesus, and when we see Jesus, he says who we are, that we're beloved, that we're chosen, that we're righteous. And we spend so much time over here, we don't have anything to balance it back out. But every time those thoughts come in, you need to throw out what the word of God says. 
every time the devil comes to you and says, you know, you can't do this. You're not good enough to do this. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the devil comes and says, well, who do you think you are? You're worthless. Well, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You'll never break out of this. You'll never get out of your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You're going to be afraid all your life. Well, there's no fear in perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. He didn't give me a spirit of fear or timidity. That's my old house. He gave me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That's my new house. I'm going there. That's where I'm going. See, remember, remember, remember you're free. You've been given a free man's sword to battle all the lies. What are the lies you're battling right now? What are the hurts, habits, and hang-ups? Maybe you slip back into being Simon. You're like, I'm there. I want to get back to the new house. I want to get back to my righteous identity in Christ. I want you to watch this video. So I'll start at the beginning. Um, my childhood was very much a harbor for fear of rejection and fear of abandonment, um, which really shaped me into being a perfectionist. The whole sum of my self-worth was my accomplishments. At a young age, I started with an unhealthy relationship with food. And as I got older, I started turning to other things for comfort and acceptance as well. Boys and alcohol and food and all of that spiraling um, landed me pregnant. I was then committed to an abusive relationship and we decided to get married because it would be the right thing to do. So the final moment of my low point was just realizing that I was completely alone and um, I was isolated from my family. I had no friends. I moved two and a half hours away to a place where I didn't know anybody but my husband. I realized that I had lost myself, so I went for a run one night and I just cried out to God because I was out of control. I didn't know who I was anymore. I started to feel him calling me back to him, and more truth um, of my relationship was revealed to me, um, more red flags. And um, for a long time, I struggled through it because it wasn't the Christian thing to get divorced. I realized it was not a safe place, and so um, I got out. God got me out. and. When I was out, I knew that I needed him, that I needed a church home. And so I came to TBA. So shortly after I started attending TBA, I signed up to join a small group. And um, my small group actually um, was doing Experiencing God at the church. I had known at that point that I wanted to help um, other women like me because I, had I not gotten the help, that I needed, I wouldn't have been able to get out. I wouldn't have survived. And I didn't know how. Um, and then Nate and Andrea stood up about Celebrate Recovery. I was like, well, I don't even know what that is. I really don't. Um, but I decided to talk to her after. I still struggle with turning to food for comfort, and I still struggle with trying to control everything and everything perfect. Um, but where I am now is that 
I can give it to God. I didn't know until I started CR um, that what I really needed was healing. I didn't know all the pain um, that I was holding and how it was affecting me. And I knew after I experienced that healing that Celebrate Recovery is why God has me at TPA. My name is Megan Hernandez, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with food addiction, self-esteem, perfectionism, and codependency. Maybe right now, you're camping out at the old house. You're in the driveway. Fear and worry are overtaking you. Maybe things in your past, maybe things that were spoken over you, words have power. Words have power, positive or negative. Positive or negative. Maybe that's where you're at right now. It's time to go to your new home, to your new address. Listen, you can't even go to a new home if Jesus hasn't redeemed you yet. And he redeemed you on the cross because we couldn't be good enough. We couldn't repair the old house. Jesus had to die on the cross for us. And there could be somebody here today that maybe you don't understand the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that when we were helpless sinners, Christ died for us. That he who knew no sin because he was perfect and spotless became sin for us on the cross, took the penalty of our sin. I nailed his hands. I whipped his back with my sin. Maybe today you need forgiveness. That's the first start of this thing. So what I want to do this morning is I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm not going to make you stand up. But if you would just bow your head and close your eyes and just respect to others if you do this. And I just want to give an opportunity today that if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, that if you're still trying to be good enough, if you could have been good enough and repaired the old house, then Christ would not have had to come. But we couldn't do it. And so he died on the cross in place of you. And he did it because he loves you. And he was willing to do it. It's by his blood we're set free. That's the price paid for us was the blood of Jesus. So right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to lead you through a prayer. Maybe today is the first day you're going to give your life to Christ. Just pray this, not out loud, just to yourself. Father, I need you. I need new life, a new nature. Forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Place your Holy Spirit in me, Lord. Help me with all the past problems. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, please, out of respect for anybody here, it's gonna be hard for me to see you but you can keep your eyes closed, but if you prayed that for the first time today, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? If for the first time today, you prayed that. And maybe today you're a believer and you're parked right now outside the old house. Somebody said something, you got some news about something, you're worried, you're fearful. You're living in the spirit of fear and timidity, not of power, love, and a sound mind. Let me just pray for you. Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, right now that you touch them with Holy Spirit, with power. God, with help in their fears. 
that Lord, if they can't drive themselves to their new house, that you would send people that will help them drive there. That you'll send other brothers and sisters to encourage them to strengthen their hearts right now. In Jesus' name, if every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you, will you just raise your hand today? Awesome. I see you, I see you, I see you, and I see you, I see you. I see you in the back. If you can put your hands down. Lord, just heal today. Help us to take that first step. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship, I want you to know in the back over here, Nate and Andrea, our leaders of Celebrate Recovery, would love to talk to you. In the back over here, we have people, we have Mikey, myself, there's gonna be others. Dave will be over there. If you need prayer for anything this morning, don't hesitate, come, receive prayer. You need other people, you can't do life alone. That's what Celebrate Recovery, that's really the power of Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights, is people walking next to you. You need people on the journey. If that's you, you need to go receive prayer. That's me, I'm going back. Let's stand and worship.